Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now, here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey, hey and welcome to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for joining us on this show that was formerly called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, uh, but all good things must go through changes. You can't be stagnant forever, and my own career has sort of morphed and changed a little bit. I'm now working in the executive search world, and I'm dealing with a lot of people who work in that C-level positions, a lot of companies who are trying to find strategic hires. So I thought I would make the pivot from the entrepreneurs to the leadership of companies because uh, I think that that can help all of us because we're going to talk about... What do great leaders do? How do they make waves? And today I'm interviewing an old friend of mine. I don't know why I never had him on the show before, but Bill Leak is the CEO of Apogee Results. And they're a company, they've got somewhere around 22 employees right now. uh, And they help companies get found online. Because let's face it, if people are searching for you and they're not finding you when they're searching, uh, you're not going to have a shot at their business. So you've got to be able to be found Uh, And that's what Bill's company does. So, hey, Bill Leak, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Uh, Thank you very much, Tom. It is a pleasure to be here with you uh, and uh, excited about the new direction for the show. Yeah, no, it's it's kind of fun. So tell everybody a little bit more about Apogee Results. Okay. Well, we we are a a digital marketing consultancy. We we live or die uh, by the strength of our talent. So... I have, have a passion for the industry you're entering as well, because uh, um, if people are in competitive spaces, um, a lot of times uh, you're not going to win. If you show up with the San Diego State football team of digital marketing, you might need to show up with the USC football team of digital marketing. Wow, that's kind of a burn on my alma mater. Look at that. I'm just you know, San Diego State is magnificent in many respects, but few alums really, uh, really are expecting a national champion. Really, said from a guy who went to Yale. We had national champions a hundred years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could make fun of the Ivy League all day long, but my daughter just got into Dartmouth, so uh, I'm an Ivy League fan now. Yeah, that's a, it's amazing how rapidly draining uh, personal bank accounts of parents turn people into Ivy League fans. I, I, I would. They're very good at doing that because they they now want to include you in their alumni network in a sense. Yeah, I noticed that my other daughter went to Carnegie Mellon and they still send me like solicitations to, you know, donate. And I'm like, wow, I kind of donated for four years. No, but you can keep giving. You can just keep giving. (laughs) That's that's what they keep saying. And I say, call my daughter. She's, you know, let let her let her and her fiance donate, not me. So. So t- keep going about your company. So you you live and die by your people, and then let's talk about live and die by the people. The the, the war the war for talent is always always a challenge uh, because the the, the A grade talent is uh, is thinner on the ground everywhere than one would like it to be, and thinner in Austin than Austin likes to admit. Yeah, that is that is very true. So so let's pivot the conversation to to your clients. Who, what type of clients do you work with, and and what do you guys do? We, we typically work with um, uh, high growth uh, and private equity backed uh, firms. Uh, we do work with a lot of tech uh, tech companies that have gotten a little bit past the startup phase. Um, 
we uh, we help ensure that uh, that once they figure out who their customers are, where are those customers currently living online? Uh, what are they doing? How how do we get them? Um, first, the messaging and positioning of our clients, and then how do we how do we ultimately at some point ideally cycle them through our clients' websites and have them react positively enough. So they either purchase something on a shopping cart or they, they get uh, they get into our client CRM system so our client can address them with a whole range of other uh, techniques. So in the world of, of what you do, I know it's super competitive. What does your company do to, as we might say, make waves? Uh several several things. One one we, we do uh we, we do speak at uh, most of the major industry mm-hmm. uh shows and events. Um, that's, that's a, something of a differentiator, uh, at least in Texas, there aren't that many companies that, uh, that have a national presence. Uh, we, uh, we do a lot of volunteering and give back work for people who are, are probably not going to be positioned to be a client of ours, but we do want to leave the ecosystem better. And so we, we sponsor, uh, kind of free trainings and, uh, free events. Um, we, have our own team members uh, sponsored to go attend conferences and shows. Uh, that's a little bit less of that in today's world because there aren't as many of them, but uh, investing in the continuing education of our people is, is a key, uh, is a key success factor for us. Uh, and, and one of the, one of the things is, is, is really just focusing relentlessly on uh, attracting and retaining folks who, uh, who enjoy the work, who realize that they get to go solve puzzles every day. And who are intellectually curious and, and, and like solving puzzles and, and like solving puzzles on behalf of clients. So let's go backwards in your career. I, I mentioned that you went to Yale. Uh, and uh, where did you go from there? What, what sort of led you into this leadership role of a company? Well, after, after Yale, I, I, uh, I worked at a consultancy that uh, was uh, the founding partner had been at Bain. And before that, he'd had a PhD in economics, and before that, he had a uh, a business uh, back before it's all the rage. That was basically a fair trade kind of business where he had indigenous folks in Peru making making crafty things and selling them in the in the. Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives entrepreneurs and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for joining us on this show that was formerly called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Uh, But all good things must go through changes. You can't be stagnant forever. And my own career has sort of morphed and changed a little bit. Uh, I'm now working in the executive search world, and I'm dealing with a lot of people who work in that C-level positions, a lot of companies who are trying to find strategic hires. So I thought I would make the pivot from the entrepreneurs to the leadership of companies because uh, I think that that can help all of us because we're going to talk about what do great leaders do? How do they make waves? And today I'm interviewing an old friend of mine. I don't know why I never had him on the show before, but Bill Leak is the CEO of Apogee Results. And they're a company, they've got somewhere around 22 employees right now. Uh, and they help companies get found online. Because let's face it, if people are searching for you and they're not finding you when they're searching, uh, 
you're not going to have a shot at their business. So you've got to be able to be found. Uh, and that's what Bill's company does. So, hey, Bill Leak, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Uh, thank you very much, Tom. It is a pleasure to be here with you uh, and uh, excited about the new direction for the show. Yeah, no, it's it's kind of fun. So tell everybody a little bit more about Apogee Results. Okay. Well, we, we are a, uh, a digital marketing consultancy. We, uh, um, we live or die uh, by the strength of our talent. So I have, have a passion for the industry you're entering as well, because uh, um, if people are in competitive spaces, um, a lot of times uh, you're not going to win if you show up with the San Diego State football team of digital marketing. You might need to show up with the USC football team of digital marketing. Wow, that's kind of a burn on my alma mater. Look at that. I'm just, you know, San Diego State is magnificent in many respects, but few alums really, uh, really are expecting a national champion. Really? Said from a guy who went to Yale. We had national champions 100 years ago. (laughs) Well, I could make fun of the Ivy League all day long, but my daughter just got into Dartmouth, so uh, I'm an Ivy League fan now. Yeah, that's a, it's amazing how rapidly draining uh, personal bank accounts of parents turn people into Ivy League fans. I, I, I would, they're very good at doing that because they, they now want to in, include you in their alumni network in a sense. Yeah, I noticed that my other daughter went to Carnegie Mellon and they still send me like solicitations to, you know, donate. And I'm like, wow, I kind of donated for four years. Yeah. No, but you can keep giving. You can just keep giving. <laughs> that's that's what they keep saying. And I say, call my daughter. She's, you know, let, let her let her and her fiance yeah. donate, not me. So. So t- keep going about your company. So you you live and die by your people, and then let's talk L- about live your- and die by the people. The, the the war the war for talent is always always a challenge uh, because the the, the A grade talent is uh, is thinner on the ground everywhere than one would like it to be, and thinner in Austin than Austin likes to admit. Yeah, that is that is very true. So so let's pivot the conversation to to your clients. Who, what type of clients do you work with, and and what do you guys do? We, we typically work with um, uh, high growth uh, and private equity backed uh, firms. Uh, we do work with a lot of tech uh, tech companies that have gotten a little bit past the startup phase. Um, we uh, we help ensure that uh, that once they figure out who their customers are, where are those customers currently living online? Uh, what are they doing? How how do we get them? Um, First, the messaging and positioning of our clients, and then how do we how do we ultimately, at some point, ideally cycle them through our clients' websites and have them react positively enough so they either purchase something on a shopping cart or they, they get uh, they get into our client's CRM system so our client can, can address them with a whole range of other uh, techniques. So in the world of, of what you do, I know it's super competitive. What does your company do to, as we might say, make waves? Uh so several several things. One one we we do uh, we we do speak at uh, most of the major industry mm-hmm. uh, shows and events. Um, that's that's a, something of a differentiator. Uh, at least in Texas, there aren't that many companies that uh, that have a national presence. Uh, we uh, we do a lot of volunteering and give back work for people who are are probably not going to be positioned to be a client of ours, but we do want to leave the ecosystem better. And so we, we sponsor uh, kind of free trainings and uh, free events. Um, we have our own team members 
uh, sponsored to go attend conferences and shows. Uh, it's a little bit less of that in today's world because there aren't as many of them. But uh, investing in the continuing education of our people is is a key uh, is a key success factor for us. Uh, and, and one of the one of the things is is, is really just focusing relentlessly on uh, attracting and retaining folks who uh, who enjoy the work, who realize that they get to go solve puzzles every day. And who are intellectually curious and, and, and like solving puzzles and, and like solving puzzles on behalf of clients. So let's go backwards in your career. I, I mentioned that you went to Yale. Uh, and uh, where did you go from there? What, what sort of led you into this leadership role of a company? Well, after, after Yale, I, I, uh, I, I worked at a consultancy that uh, was uh, the founding partner had been at Bain. And before that, he'd had a PhD in economics, and before that, he had a, uh, a business uh, back before it's all the rage that was basically a fair trade kind of business where he had indigenous folks in Peru making making crafty things and selling them in the in the 1980s to to various folks before there was online commerce and that sort of thing. So he had an interesting set of experiences. He had founded a a, a Bain modeled consulting firm, but focused on. Uh, VC and private equity backed companies, uh, generally in the Boston tech scene, but uh, ultimately moved his business out to Silicon Valley and did even better there. But I, I worked with him for a couple of years. It was my first two years out of Yale. Then went to work for uh, a management consultancy called McKinsey. Uh, did that for a couple of years, then picked up a uh, an MBA, which was vastly more boring than my undergraduate, but uh, uh, you know, a couple of useful skills there. Um, and and then kind of set out to say, well, what do I really want to do with my career? And it was kind of a hodgepodge. I, I spent some time with a with a software company, spent some time with uh, uh, inside of a venture capital firm. I spent some time building what uh, an Austin-based firm that at one point was uh, the fastest growing company on earth and the first company to ever sell a million dollars on the internet. Um, and then, then I did a couple fully entrepreneurial things as, uh, as president of a, of a small software company that grew to become a mid-sized software company. And uh, that was where that and, and the, the previous firm where we sold a, the first to get to a million bucks of internet sales before eBay, before Amazon, before any of those guys. Uh, that was kind of where I first learned uh, you know, the power of digital marketing. And that, that's sort of what, what led me into... Uh, versions of my current career, which is realizing that when you show up with, you know, the uh, the Alabama football team uh, of digital marketing versus the Texas State football team of digital marketing, truly magical and transformative things can happen hmm. that can make almost all the difference between success and failure. So I met you when you were leading one or the other of those Austin-based software companies that were doing the the e-commerce stuff, and then then you ventured out on your own. And so most of the time that I've known you, you've been you've been working for yourself, and you've had a couple of iterations, like you said, of of, of what you do. But what do you like about the leadership role? What do you like about being CEO? What what I what I really like is, uh, from my perspective, the the opportunity to engage really talented folks, uh, give them some broad direction and, and some boundaries and guidelines, but for the most part, uh, give them space and let them do their magic and watch them develop. 
and try to help them in the developing. And, and for me, that's because I'm, I'm in a space that, that engages knowledge workers and, and high capacity knowledge workers. Um, there are other businesses that I would not enjoy being in a C-level role in. For instance, if I were running call centers, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that to me, I, I mean, operations is fiendishly important, but, you, you know, in the rank and file out there in the call centers, you're, you're, you're dealing, I mean, I don't want to be in a business where I'm having to measure how long someone's bathroom break was. You know, I, I don't want to be in a business where I have to manage other people's adulting. Uh, so I, I've chosen one that, that a, a role that I, I can do a C-level, but I can do a C-level with, with the people that, um, that I would, that I might I might in another world be friends with them and just hang out with them because these are intellectually curious people that have a client service ethos. So I met you kind of out and about networking at different Austin types events. And and I've noticed recently, even in, in the quarantine, you've been showing up at the Association for Corporate Growth, Austin's local uh, online sort of uh, educational and networking events. So I know that you think it's important uh, to be active and involved. Why, why do you think for like somebody who's an executive, sometimes people are like, oh, I don't network. I just hide. Other, I have other people who do that. Why do you think it's important to, to be part of your community? Uh, several reasons. Uh, one is, is uh, the opportunity to give back and mentor. Uh, and and there, were, there, were, there were always people who helped us up, up, the, uh, up the ladder to the clubhouse early in our careers. And I think there's a concomitant obligation uh, to be out there and have some availability to, to help other people with that. Uh, and so being engaged in the community in that way is important. Uh, I, I do think that uh, it's also important that uh, um, the, the, the people of, of, of C-level go find other ones. We can get so caught up in, in our own businesses that we don't find people uh, that are also dealing with some of the same struggles or in adjacent businesses, not necessarily competitive ones and lean into them and lean into their experience base and, and share ours at a kind of a peer networking level. Um, if, I, if, if I've made mistakes and I've made plenty and I, by sharing my experiences, I can help someone else make different mistakes. That's a great thing and vice versa. And, and I do, I do think that, uh, that humans, tend to become who they hang out with. So if you, and, and if you're, if you're hanging out with people who are also aspirational are also not jackasses uh, and are also intellectually curious, those traits will, will bring out the best in those same traits with you and finding professional relationships that can become friendships, but even if they just remain professional acquaintances, but of, of folks of good mind and good character, in a way, that's like going to the gym of humanity. Hmm. So it, it's, not, it's not necessarily, it shouldn't even be primarily about uh, do you wear a biz dev title or about acquiring customers and clients. It's, it's about going out there and figuring out kind of who are your people? Who, who are the people that are going to challenge and inspire you and who in return can you challenge and inspire to, uh, to leave the campsite better? So I love, if I love this close from that, which it should all the better. I love the term going to the gym of humanity. Uh, and yet when I think back 
gosh, it's probably 20 years ago that you and I first met. When I look back to those days in Austin, sort of the boom, boom tech explosion of Austin from maybe 20-ish years ago, maybe more, uh, one thing I remember was CEOs would happily hang out with lawyers and accountants and business development people and venture capitalists were happy to meet with anybody. Uh, there was sort of this this whole roundabout thing where people were cool about just getting to know who was there, as you call it, intellectually curious. I think nowadays it's a little bit harder. I think people have armor up now in a lot of communities, certainly more so in Austin than it used to be. So is it? do you think it's harder to network now than it used to be? I, I think it, it can be. Um, there are definitely, you know, Austin's a lot larger than it was back then. Uh, it, it can be more more segregated into here are the companies in gaming, here are the companies in hardware, here are the companies even in fintech or things like that. Uh, there are fewer things that uh, that pull us together. Uh, back then we had uh, ACG, we had the uh, you know Austin Software Council before it's the Technology Council, uh, and we had uh, we had TechSchange and and not not much more. So there were a small number of watering. Now, just for the record, now we've had- I, I got I got to say I got to brag on something. TextChange is still around and is still active in our in our local community. I actually the first meeting of the the what would become the board, the first uh, exploratory meeting of TextChange of about I don't know I think there were about twelve people was actually held in my office when I worked at RR Donnelly, and we actually held the meeting to decide if we wanted to start. TextChange. And I was, I think, the the third president of TextChange. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always really proud to know, even though I'm not involved anymore, that it is still a thriving organization. I I would like to see it thriving again. It still exists. I I think that uh, uh, it has never fully recovered from the shift of everything downtown. So when everything was near the, you know, from the Arboretum down to... uh, um, you know, the arc of 360 down to uh, 360 meets Mopac on the south side. Well, text change was perfectly positioned at the Austin Country Club. Uh, that's no longer uh, the tech industry. So, so th- I would say they're going through another rebirth. Certainly, COVID hasn't helped them. But uh, what what you were part of founding there was for many years one of you know, and, and things like Brian Bennell's Happy Hour. There still are some places where there is something of an open forum. Uh, but a lot of the other things have devolved into, you know, kind of uh, more walled gardens where there's there's someone sitting as the gatekeeper trying to extract some shekels of all the people who pass through the toll bridge, trying to shake them down for overpriced equity and some or overpriced real estate and some equity, which certainly doesn't build a, a culture of community in the tech industry here. So let's keep talking about this whole idea of, of networking. So what advice do you have for other C-level executives? Uh, CEOs, CFOs, CTOs, et cetera. What advice do you have about why it's important to get involved in whatever community they live in or whatever vertical they're in to be involved with one, two, or three organizations? What, what's, the, what's the benefit of this? I, I, think you, uh, um, I think you learn a lot. Uh, I think you, you make some professional friendships of people who fully understand what you're going through. So one of the problems with humans in general, but men specifically, is we tend to drown alone and we don't call out for help. Some of that is we can get depressed because we think our circumstances are uniquely unique and uniquely bad. And sadly, we're, 
we're, we're really not the snowflakes we want to be. We're not that special. We're not that unique. Uh, if we're having an issue, there are probably 50 people in the last two weeks somewhere who had that same issue, most of whom have navigated through it. So having a community of folks that, that understands our challenges and, you know, people in other industries, sometimes it's not the same thing. People uh, um, in a different role in the same company, sometimes it's not the same thing. You could have a spouse or a therapist who's definitely, you know, desperately trying to understand what we're walking, but it can be really hard to explain that because it's a completely different journey than they've taken. So I think selfishly it's good uh, from a community perspective. I think it's good from a learning perspective. Um, and I, I think it opens people's eyes to new ways of doing things. Like, well, what technology are you using? Oh, what technology are you using? Oh, okay. And then for folks that might not want to stay at their job for the rest of their life, uh, the network that is built up from that can be phenomenal. Like the, the community that SAP uh, historically created and collaborated amongst CIOs and CTOs, I mean, they would help find you a job when you needed one. And in return, a lot of these people just put SAP in the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. You, know, you, you see the same thing with uh, marketing technology. There was a woman in town who is no longer in town, but she, she went through like five or six director of marketing roles, you know, usually about one a year. And every place she went, she left an Eloqua installation behind, you know? And so, but part of that was she was incredibly well networked and the guy who was the sales guy for Eloqua in town also was looking out for her interest. <laughs> he, was, he was working very hard to get her a better offer every next year. <laughs> so I, I, I love con- comparing this, this, this concept of, of, you know, executives networking to this going to the gym of humanity. So what's your recommendation about sticking to kind of birds of the feather? Like should CEOs only network with CEOs? Should uh, VPs of marketing just hang with VPs of marketing? What's the benefit to cross-pollinization? I, I think there's a cross-pollination up and down within a function. There's also a cross-pollination with different roles. Um, uh, a lot of CMOs end up getting fired because they don't know how to speak CFO. Um, uh, a lot of CMOs get fired because they don't know how to speak uh, VP of sales. Um, so cross-functional stuff is useful. Uh, it's also useful periodically to go talk to some directors of marketing. You know, what's actually going on in the trenches, you know? Uh, and uh, do those other people, do, do the other directors of marketing seem like they might be stronger than your directors of marketing? <laughs> so so I, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of birds of a feather, but I'm also a fan of up and down the ladder and, uh, and the things in the adjoining silos. So diversity is a good thing. And you were talking about job search, you know, only 20% of, you know, 20, 25% of strategic level positions are actually placed through search. Most jobs, whether it's entry level all the way through the top of the chain, most of them still come through your network and your connections. So, you know, it's, it's the, you know, the wider you can go in that gym of humanity, the stronger you're going to be when those opportunities come. Right. I mean, there, there are a lot of CFOs that would prefer to not hire an executive search firm. And if they've already met and networked with uh, a VP of sales, although, or CMO although they're, they're wrong, they should hire one and they should hire, oh, Stan, they should hire Stanton Chase, but that's just because yeah, that's no, where I absolutely. work. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, they, they, but I mean, you know how, you know how to tell the extroverted CFO, right? 
Yeah, he looks at your shoes when he talks. He looks at you, exactly. <laughs> Works so well with engineers and, and actuaries as well. There are multiple professions you can you can do that one on. But uh, yeah, they if folks feel like they already think they know who the right candidate is, I mean, at some level, some signs of firms, uh, people are going to naturally default to an executive search firm, and and uh, they want it to be thorough. Uh, but some other fir- uh, firms don't head to executive search until they've tried and face planted a few times on their own. And, you know, it's, uh, you actually want to be as a C-level person, you'd ideally be networked both with a number of executive recruiters, but also just with another, a number of uh, CFO folks. I remember a guy that, uh, that I was trying to hire to be my COO um, and president a long time ago in a, in a different apogee far, far away, the weather got up to about a hundred folks. Um, he had founded uh, a local kind of uh, mosh pit networking group for VPs of service in town. Cause there wasn't one. So he looked around and said, Hey, you know, it'd be nice to have a watering hole where you just talk shop. And he got about 30 of them together. And uh, you know, they, they, some of it was virtual and some of it was uh, actually doing stuff. Uh, he got at least two different jobs off of that thing for himself. So, so shifting gears here really quick, you've, you've worked with a lot of people. You've employed a lot of people over the years. Mm-hmm. You've seen a lot of people who have potential who end up stubbing their toe along the way. Why do you think some people who have great potential succeed and other people who also had great potential sort of fall off the cliff? Uh, you know, they're, they're a long list of reasons. Some of them, some of them are personal. Some of them are, are does the rain fall on you or not? I mean, I, I've seen cases where, you know, somebody fell into Dell in the nineties and they fell out uh, in the early two thousands as a VP of something or else and great skills for that to happen. But thank goodness it wasn't Motorola that they fell into. So, so sometimes it's context because you don't control all your environment. Um, sometimes it's willingness to take risks. You know, where opportunity meets preparedness. So are you, are you prepared to take advantage of opportunities? Uh, sometimes it's mate selection. Like how, how much, how much value has been lost to the world by potential Elon Musk's who ended up choosing a mate who was not entrepreneur friendly mm-hmm. or, or not, not in fact, even just sea level friendly. Mm-hmm. So if, if someone is, is working not, not just aspirational in terms of dreaming, but is working aggressively toward building their career. Um, life is about time and trade-offs. And, and have they, if they have a partner, have they chosen a partner who understands and empathizes and supports what they're doing? If not, uh, they, they might not get there. So Bill, I got a couple more questions for you. But first, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode, it's brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people who are making waves like Bill Leak. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things 
and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So, Bill, I used to call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing in business right now? Right now, I am uh, I have three people writing some code to me for me, uh, starting a new venture uh, in, of all things, the events and conferences space. Because, silly me, I'm guessing that a lot of people are not writing new code right now in the events and conferences space. A lot of people aren't doing anything right now in the events and conferencing <laughs> space. So the so, thought here is, is really quite simple. When you look at things like Indeed, uh, it's a wonderful search engine for jobs. Uh, there's really not a great way to figure out if I've got budget to go to two FinTech shows or two usability shows. Um, well, what are the 400 in North America? What are the five that have Tom Singer as their conference catalyst? That, those, uh, would be the, one, those would be the best ones. Those are absolutely, absolutely. But there's not an easy conference discovery tool that has any quality in it that, it, that makes it easy to compare conferences by sector, by cost, by attendees, uh, all the other kinds of things. It really lends itself well to a mostly structured and partially unstructured database. So Google's not the best place to do that. Um, and none of the conference organizers, well, for the most part, they're exceptions, but you, you've seen a few conference websites in your day. Just, most of them are not, uh, are not going to be winning any awards for <laughs> how wonderful the websites are and how wonderful the website experience is. And so if I'm trying to exhibit at a conference, how do I figure out what, what is the booth cost? What does this cost? And so the, the process of for all the event planners and event managers and attendees and even speakers out there of saying, these are all the conferences I might be interested in a, in a sector. I'd like you to just automatically email me when they're, you know, a month before the call for speakers is due. Hmm. Interesting. So I'm, I'm, I'm putting together a code base that uh, my goal is for it to be a conference discovery tool that adds value to attendees, to exhibitors, to speakers, to the event organizers, um, and and allows things that event organizers might not like, like ratings and reviews. <laughs> is this show better than this show? Does this show have senior people talking, or is it more of an elementary level of knowledge? How's the darn coffee? Is the food any good? Is it in a sketchy neighborhood? Is it, in, is it too far away from the central city? There's a lot of stuff that conference insiders could and would share with the appropriate conference community. And, 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 and that data right now is not being elicited. Interesting. Well, I look forward to, to seeing that when it comes, comes to fruition. So, Bill, when you look out into the world of, of business leaders, who do you admire? Who do you think makes waves? Well, I don't, I, I will say that making waves is not necessarily the thing that is to be most admired uh, or, or making real waves of substance are probably what's to be admired. So the people who are building real things, because I do see a lot of people who can be show ponies and kind of doing a look at me, look at me, look at me. And, and they're sort of making personal branding waves, but, but then you kind of look back at the four or five campsites that they, they visited and said, well, it, it doesn't. It doesn't look like they left them better. So, I mean, you know, cl clearly some of the obvious ones, I mean, Steve Jobs left waves. Uh, uh, you know, Elon Musk is doing that now. 
we've, we've got a, a number of folks in Austin who've done that several times uh, and I think have, 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 have left positive uh, contributions behind them. Um, you know, Bill Bach did that for many years. Uh, Mark McLean is still doing that at SailPoint locally. Uh, Joel Trammell did that with several several things. He still does a give back with his involvement with the Austin Technology Council and, and, and other things and, and, and kind of his, his, um, his projects at Texas CEO Magazine and Chorus. Neither of those is, is, you know, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't get the sense that either of those is going to, you know, 3X his personal balance sheet at this point. They, they feel like labors of love and labors of, of, you know, hopefully not losing money, but giving back to the community where he'd make a lot more money simply just going and being a, a mercenary CEO for hire now based on his track record. And, and yet he's, he's endeavoring to do things that systematize his lessons learned and share them back with other folks. Awesome. So, Bill, if people want to know more about you, they want to find out about Apogee Results, how do they find you? Well, I could give them your cell phone number. <laughs> Don't call me. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, you can vet them for me. I, I trust your curation. Uh, they, can, um, uh, they can visit my website. Apogee, A-P-O-G-E-E, results.com. They can email me, leak, L-E-A-K-E, at apogeeresults.com. Uh, they, can, uh, they can come by our office, although nobody seems to be there anymore. So that's kind of odd. <laughs> someday, someday uh, people will be back in the office. I think so. I think, I think I, I, you know, humans can't be all virtual. Nope, I agree. And in fact... Although, although they... They do spend a lot of time in video games, so they can be the younger generation can be distressingly virtual. <laughs> well, it's, it, it is fascinating to me. You know, there's a lot of predictions about the meetings industry, and a lot of people think, "Oh, it's going to go away. Everything's going virtual." The people I talk to, most people have Zoom fatigue, and they just want so badly to get back to a live event and and hug their friends again. So, uh, I think once we get on the other side of this, uh, th those live gatherings are going to return in in with a gusto. Yes, uh, lunch is not the same over Zoom. No, no. It's in fact, I'm going to a uh, a black tie gala <clears throat> over Zoom in April, and uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's like God, really, uh, like I don't even know if I'm going to wear pants. I, I, I was going to ask. You're just going to do the top half, or you get or, or the full Monty? It's quite possible I may not wear pants. I probably would wear boxers, but okay. you know, I, I I don't know. I mean, I it, I I. It, Putting a tux on to sit in my office, you know, with my ring light on in front of me just doesn't really excite me the way it would to be able to go to the cocktail party with these people at the uh, the industry event. So. Right. Which hey, is which is where we first met at, 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 at Ernst and Young Entrepreneurs uh, Entrepreneur of the Year Awards. It was Ernst and Young Entrepreneur of the Year Awards, probably easily twenty two years ago or something like that. I think it was probably 99 or 2000 and it was a black tie gala and we had a blast. And we're still friends to this day. So networking matters because sometimes you meet really cool people like Bill Leak. So Bill, again, thanks for jumping on here on Making Waves at Sea Level. And thank you to everybody who tuned in. I say it every show, if it wasn't for the audience, why would I do this? There'd be no podcast. It's all about you guys. So thank you for those of you who actually participate in the community. Uh, there is a Facebook page. Uh, you can find us on all the social medias. It's at Cool Podcast on Twitter. And then uh, also you can find me at Tom Singer everywhere. Uh, we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Bill Leak. I know you're thinking, Tom, how will you ever find anybody so cool? But we do it every single time. 
But in the meantime, go out there, make sure that your career ladder is against the right wall because there's nothing worse than climbing to the top and realizing I did this in the wrong place. I know because I did that for a long time. Uh, Go out there and have some fun. Try some new things. And while you're at it, have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.